Welcome to the sermon podcast for New Life Church's Cabot Campus. We are located at 3400 West Main Street in Cabot, Arkansas. Our service times are Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. To find more information about what we believe, upcoming events, and more, please visit newlifechurch.tv or you can text the word Cabot to 88000. Hey everybody, good to see you guys. Hope you guys are doing all right. How many of you guys are thankful that we have a King of Kings and Lord of Lords who is on the throne that we put our hope and our trust in? How many of y'all are thankful that our hope and trust is not in a football team? Our hope and trust is not in whether or not we get that big buck we've been trying to hunt for years and years. Our hope and trust is in Jesus and he is on the throne, amen? Amen. Well, it's good to see you guys. I've had a few people ask me this morning why the flag is at half mass. And uh, the reason why it is is because of what's going on in Israel. That was not something that was passed down by our government. It's something we made the decision to do. Uh, we unequivocally stand with Israel. Uh, it's a biblical mandate that you have to understand that you can clap if you want, but I just want you to know that that is not a political statement. That That is a biblical spiritual mandate. And so uh, they're God's people. God says he will bless who blesses them. How many of y'all want to be blessed? Amen. And, uh, and I also want you to know, I mean, we could, look, there are some amazing studies on Revelation that are out there. Uh, and, and I would encourage you, the, the Revelation says that whoever reads Revelation is blessed. And, and it is the revelation of Jesus. That's what that book is. It's, 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 it's the unveiling of who he is as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And it is important to understand, it is a very deep, complicated book and subject. So I want to just, I'll just throw this out there. If you want a relatively concise, accurate, in-depth look at the signs of the times, Revelation, I would encourage you to read a book called The Tipping Point by Jimmy Evans. You could read for years and still not unpack everything that is in that book uh, but I find that the tipping point to be a relatively concise uh, summary of everything that, that we're, we're looking at right now. And, and let's just not be surprised. You know, we, we don't need to, to have any fear whatsoever. What we need to have is an urgency that the time is near. We need, we need to have an urgency in our spirit like, okay, then we need to be serious about the things that God is serious about. Amen. And that's what this series that we've been in, No Plan B. If you're new to our church, uh, every year we do kind of an annual vision series. And we've been in the middle of that. And we've been talking through phrases that are, are pivotal phrases within that vision. Phrases like, we see a church that's pouring itself into the next generation. So last week we had our next gen takeover service. We had young people serving all over the church in, on worship and, and greeting people and all that. And it was awesome. Uh, and I thought that the the... The panel up here did a great job. I think for me, just as a dad who has students now that are all in the youth, I was just so thankful to be reminded, man, we've got some amazing, dynamic, godly men and women leading our students in our church, and we are blessed to have them. I'm thankful that I get to partner with them to see that our kids step into everything that God has for them. And then this last week on Tuesday night, God moved in a powerful way. Our, our men met together. And, you know, as far as men's meetings go, I mean, we, we had all the stuff there. We had, there was a car show and that was cool. There were some cool cars there. We laughed, we ate some food, but I just want to tell you this. What I sensed when the, that room full of 12, 1300 men started worshiping together, something broke loose in the spiritual. And I think it's something that, that honestly we've been praying into for quite a while. And that is, that the men of our church would step into the calling, the anointing, and under the mantle that God has always had for them to step under, to be spiritual leaders in our church, in their homes, in our city, in our community. And I just wanna tell you, when I heard those men joining together, it may not sound as pretty as a room full of ladies, but I wanna tell you, all of hell shook when that place erupted in worship to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And I'm excited because I know this. I know that if we can win the men in people's homes, then we will win the family. And if we win the family, we win our communities, we win our cities, and that's what we've got to do. Amen? And so that was powerful. 
Today, I wanna talk to you about another phrase that we've used several times within our vision. We see a church that is led strongly by Holy Spirit, strongly. The word says, actually in 1 Corinthians, this isn't in your notes, you can write it down if you want to. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Now, now within context, the chapter right before that, it's what's referred to as the love chapter. 1 Corinthians 13, if you've ever been to a wedding, you've heard somebody read through this because it's all the attributes and qualities of what real love is, okay? Now, when we read through the Bible, our chapter breaks and verses are not necessarily where those chapter breaks and verses were in the original writing of the text, okay? Uh, but it is where people, theologians, early on in our faith as it was being transcribed, as it was being as, trans, as being translated, they said, okay, this is where it makes the most sense. But a lot of times there's a connected thought that can get lost. And so understand that all of chapter 13 is talking about love. It's talking about godly love. It's talking about the attributes of love. And then if you picked up right in chapter 14, the beginning says, follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. Now, when it says spiritual gifts, there, there, there are multiple ways that that could be interpreted, but as soon as it gives a qualifier of especially prophecy, then we know that it's specifically speaking of the gifts of the Spirit. And I just wanna to talk to that for a second because you need to understand that not only are we a Spirit-filled church, we wanna be a Spirit-led church. And, and here's the deal. Those things are supposed to be synonymous, but they're not always. And, and people have gotten really off track sometimes when it comes to the gifts of the Spirit. Uh, I think what's most important and what we're gonna talk about today is that as a church, we demonstrate the attributes of the fruit that we are Spirit-led. That it's clear by our behavior, it's clear by the way we love, it's clear by the way that we treat people, that we are spirit-filled, spirit-led people. But you have to understand that the gifts of the Spirit are incredibly important. The fact is we have a room full of people from lots of different church backgrounds, lots of different denominations are, are represented in this room. We have people from a Catholic background. We have people from, we have Messianic Jews that have come to our church. We have people that come from every denomination under the sun. And it is really difficult to unpack every person's theology when it comes to the gifts of the Spirit. What you have to know is they are biblical, they are alive, they are still working today. And I know that that may fly in the face of what some of you have been raised and taught within your denominational backgrounds. And I don't wanna try to convince you. What I would wanna try to convince you is exactly what Paul tried to convince you with. Earnestly seek. Earnestly, if you want more of God and want all that God has for you and you earnestly seek, I know the Holy Spirit will reveal to you, give you a hunger and desire. And when that hunger and desire begins to well up, I just wanna let you know that you are in a church where we can help you understand more, where we can pray for you, where we can help you get equipped with the knowledge and understanding of what those gifts are and how they operate. But I just wanna tell you my personal testimony, right? Because I don't think any of you would wanna say, oh, no, nope, his testimony is false, it's not true. If you do feel that way, this is probably not gonna be your church. But my testimony is this. I got saved when I was seven years old, and yes, I believe that I received a portion of the Holy Spirit because I felt conviction. And true conviction can only come from the Holy Spirit. He's the only one that can bring conviction. But I also felt his help. I felt his counsel. I felt his presence. But then when I was 14, 15 years old, I wanted just more. And I began to earnestly seek more. And that's when I received my prayer language, okay? That isn't a biblical term. But in the word, there are three different words for tongues. Okay, there's the tongues of men, tongues for interpretation, and tongues for personal edification. Now that is used, that phrase is used. Edification, personal edification. You can take it or leave it, but I wanna promise you, you wanna take it. 
It is a perfect prayer language between me and God where the enemy can't mess with it and I can't manipulate it, but it's perfect prayers that connect my spirit to the spirit of God. I don't know about you, sometimes I just don't know what to pray. Anybody feel like we're living in a day and age where you're a little bit speechless when it comes to how to pray with everything that's going on around us? Jesus knew that was gonna happen, so he gave us his spirit and his spirit gives us good gifts. And those gifts help equip, encourage, and empower his church and individuals in his church to stay connected to his spirit. So I would say it as strongly as this, and I mean this. I told Pastor Rick this this, this last week. When it comes to my personal testimony, my personal prayer language, I speak in tongues almost every day. I would like to say every day, I'm sure I've missed a few days. It has meant so much in my personal faith and connection in my relationship with the Lord. If I didn't have my prayer language, I guarantee you I would not be in ministry today. And the reason why it's important for you to understand that is there might be some that would say that the gifts of spirit are this elevated position of spirituality. No, that, that is often, it's not biblical. The reality is this, I'm not spiritual. That's why I need his gifts. I'm so jacked up that if I didn't have his gifts, I would be in trouble. And God knew that. And God gave me this gift. It is a gift. The word says that the gifts and call of God are irrevocable. So just because God gives us a gift doesn't mean we're always gonna use it the way he intends it to be used. Have you ever given a gift to a kid and they didn't use it the way it was intended to be used? If that's ever happened to you, you also know that that becomes annoying and frustrating, like a clanging gong and cymbal, like the word says. It is frustrating, and that has happened, and that is why some of you have a misconception about his gifts and about his character. Because somebody was given a gift, they stopped using it for what it was intended to be used for. It's intended to be used for drawing people, individuals in his church closer in intimacy with him. But because it got abused, because they got off track, because they got prideful, because they got insecure, whatever it was, God didn't take that gift away. They kept using it, but the enemy started using it. All that being said, we need his gifts. We need his gifts. But I think what is infinitely as important is that we first seek to demonstrate his attributes, the fruit of his character. And if we are going to be a church, a church that is led by the Holy Spirit, you will see the effects of that. It should be evident. And so what I wanna to talk to you about is what we believe and we're praying for that we would be as a church, but also that you would have a stirring inside of you that you have your own personal responsibility in this picture. You've gotta have some of this too. Who is he? He's the third person of the Trinity. He is a person, not an it. But he is also omnipresent, meaning he can be anywhere at the same time. Jesus said about him, I will send you another helper. Another helper means something else of the same kind. Someone else of the same kind. Holy Spirit is not a downgrade. He's the same kind. And his key assignment is to help you and I in our spiritual walk. In the Old Testament, he manifested himself differently. It was in a cloud by day and a fire by night leading the Israelites to the promised land. In Isaiah 42, 16, prophetically, he spoke and said, he will guide you into unfamiliar territory. And that is manifesting now. How many of you, when you had your first kid, you remember the day they took their first steps? How many of y'all remember that? How many of y'all remember that? If you're a parent in here, how many of y'all remember that? Some of y'all won't raise your hand in church no matter what I ask you. And, and I, don't, I don't really get that. Like, I'd be like, how many of y'all want a million dollars? Not gonna raise my hand. Well, you have not because you ask not, so on you. But, 
But anybody, most parents, that was an exciting day, right? And depending on your age and season of life you're in, you were taking pictures or you're taking video. And, and how many of y'all remember, like it used to be really difficult to take video. How many of y'all remember just the old VHS recorders, all right? I mean, it looked like a bazooka. You had to, and, and it wasn't easy. It's like, oh, I gotta get a tape. Oh, don't, over, don't you know, record over our wedding day, you know? Like, and, and it took like an hour to get it up and get ready. So you like miss the steps. And then, and then you try to set it up to where it's like their first steps, but it's like the third or fourth attempt because you had to get the video camera ready. Right, these days, I mean, you can get it right away, but why do we care? Why do we care so much? I think if we're really honest, it's because when our kid takes their first couple of steps, we think we can take some credit for that. It's like, look what we did. We made a human and now they walk. <laughs> but we're thinking, this is, this is huge. This is gonna change our lives forever. And when you're a new parent, you're right. But you're, you don't know how right you are. You, because that's what you're thinking. It's like our lives are gonna change forever. You know what that kid's thinking? Yes. I can finally reach everything that I've always wanted to reach and put it in my mouth. So... If you're a new parent, you'll learn. You want them to crawl as long as possible. <laughs> like the longer they're not super mobile, the less defense you have to play. But why do we care? Here's the deal. The key to you getting everything that God has for you is being led by the Spirit. He wants to help you walk and he wants to help you walk out everything that God has for you. The problem is, as you walk, you will reach for everything that you think you want. And there are a lot of things that you'll be able to reach, but that doesn't mean they're things that God wants you to reach. It doesn't mean they're things that God wants you to take hold of. And the Holy Spirit helps you not just walk, but understand the things that you need to reject and the things that you need to lay hold of. You have to have him. And he wants to lead us. So Romans 8, 14 says, for as many are as led by the spirit of God, these are sons of God. Man, what a powerful qualifying statement. The way his sons and daughters are identified are those people that are clearly being led by something, someone supernatural, the spirit of God. John 16, 13. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And, when he, and he will tell you of things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. This is Jesus speaking about Holy Spirit. The fact is this, everyone and every one of you are gonna be led by something or someone. You're gonna be led. You're gonna be led by culture, or you're gonna be led by your flesh, your feelings, your greed, your pride, your insecurities. You could be led by friends, and you could even be led by family. And not all of those things are bad, but they don't turn out great if the Holy Spirit isn't leading you first. He's the one that needs to take the first step ahead of you. What does a church led by Holy Spirit look like? First of all, it has vibrant, or vibrant worship. A church led by the Spirit has vibrant worship. You have to understand that especially in the last days, there is and will be a battle and fight over your worship what you worship. In fact, this is how the whole thing started from the very beginning. In the beginning, even before Adam and Eve, you can see this spoken of in Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28. Lucifer was an angel in God's court, but he fell. Why? Because he wanted to be worshiped. He was in charge of all the worship. He saw worship up close and he wanted it for himself. And God had a problem with that. And five times in Isaiah, the devil said, I will be praised, I will be worshiped, I will be lifted up, I will ascend. In Matthew 4, 19, Satan even tried to convince Jesus 
that Jesus should worship him. He promised him everything that the world had to offer if he would just bow down and worship him. Satan wants you to worship him or anything that he would endorse. So you would say, I'm sure everybody, I will never worship Satan, okay? But are you giving worth? That's what worship means. Are you giving worth to things that he's endorsing? Sponsored by, even if it's not obvious, it's him. God kicked him out. The Bible says that he fell like lightning. That's quick. Many scholars believe that this may have happened between Genesis 1, 1 and Genesis 1, 2. But in there it says, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth became formless and void. It became formless and void, dark. But God said, we're gonna fix this, let there be light. But then he also created you for what purpose? To worship. God no longer had a worship leader in heaven. So he gave that assignment to us, to me and you. Not just Ethan, not just our awesome worship team, to every single one of us. And that is why Satan hates you so much. You took his job. But honestly, it's also one of the reasons why around the world and in every culture, we love music. We play music, we have it in our cars, it changes our moods creates feeling. In many ways, we are, in essence, instruments. Our voices, our hands, our percussion. The Bible says, let everything, everybody say everything. Everything Everything that has breath, praise the Lord. Because we're created for worship. A church led by the Spirit is a church that hears what he hears, hears what Holy Spirit hears. Because he not only sees, he hears cries. He hears struggle. He listens to pain. I also remember when our oldest London, we brought her home from the hospital and there's all these firsts. There's, there's just seems like huge deals. Like, like the first time you put your first baby in the car seat leaving the hospital. And you just feel like highly accomplished because the seat fits and you didn't pinch their arms and legs buckling the seat belts, right? And then, and then, and then you might have drove, driven 150 miles an hour to the hospital. You're gonna drive 10 under going home. But that's not even when the reality hits. The reality hit for us when you get the baby out and you take them into their nursery that you've spent hours and hours decorating just perfectly Dads, in many ways, did their best but failed putting together the crib and he had a few extra pieces left and everything's perfect. Why? Because that baby's gonna remember whether they had a beautiful nursery or what kind of effort you put there. No, we do it all for the Instagram picture. Let's just be honest. And, but then the reality sits in where it's like, man, we're in charge of a human And that is incredibly intimidating. But I remember with London, she would cry at night. And I always pray and intercede for families I hear where their baby is colicky because I know that that can be incredibly difficult and miserable. We didn't have that much of an issue with that with any of our kids. But London, typically she would cry when she was hungry or cry when she needed her diaper changed, right? And I've confessed what I'm getting ready to tell you to Cody already but I wanna be honest and real with all of you. There were a few nights, maybe many nights. I'm a pretty light sleeper actually. And I would wake up and I would hear London crying, but I would pretend (laughs) that I did not. And I would bump Cody (laughs) and Cody would wake up and hear her crying. And I could feel her begin to get up. And like, oh, 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 London cry. Oh, thank you, baby. You're so awesome. You make me a snack while you're up, please. I would never do that. I promise you. I promise you. 
I would, I would walk with a limp to this day if I actually did that. I promise you. So I'm not proud of that. I did get a lot more sleep that way, but I, but I, I would pretend. But here's the reality. The reality is this. After they cry for a while, and even after you've had a couple or a few kids and they cry, it can get to a place where you don't hear them. You just tune it out. You're so used to it that you don't hear it. By about the third kid, things completely change. You're picking passies out of the mud off the ground, wiping them off and sticking them right back in that baby's mouth. You're like, it's good for their immune system. First baby, you're like burning everything that touched anything but you, or, you know, so things change. But you can begin to tune out. This happens in hospitals sometimes, in emergency rooms or in rooms where people are crying out in pain and, and nurses, they love people, they wanna take care of people, but after they've heard it for a long time, they just, they tune it out. And the truth is this, there are some cries that the word clearly tells us about that the Holy Spirit expects us to respond to and never tune them out. Never tune them out. Not just try to turn up something else so you don't have to hear it. The cry of the poor is one of them. The cry of the poor. I remember traveling and, 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 and meeting real hungry kids. You know, this is why sometimes it's difficult for me to have grace with my kids. I'm starving. I'm like, no, I'm sorry. Not even close. Not even close. And I remember feeding these kids in, in Kenya at this school and it wasn't anything fancy. It was, it was rice and beans. And all we had was these plastic bags and we put a few scoops of these cooked rice and beans in these bags. And as we hand them out, the kids will quickly go over and sit on the ground and they take a couple of bites. But then what I noticed is after taking two or three bites, they would wrap the bag up, tie it off and, and walk away. And so I'd ask the, the guys we're working with, our translators, like, why, why are they doing that? And they said, well, they're taking the rest home to feed their family because this is the only food that they're gonna have or that their family's gonna have. The reality is maybe at some season and maybe even in this season, none of us have understood that. We haven't experienced that. Our kids have not experienced that. But if you are experiencing that, please let us know because we can help. But the fact is, you don't have to go to Kenya to meet hungry and poor people. Yes, we have them right here in Cabot. Yes. Weekly and almost daily, we have people that will come to our church that are just overwhelmed with different bills. They're in a bad place financially, and they're not even sure how they're going to buy groceries for their kids. And I want you to understand, we are always trying to teach people how to fish and not just hand out fish. And so we'll do everything we can to try to get them plugged into a local body of believers, even if it's not us, so that they can have relationships, so they can have knowledge and understanding and wisdom so they don't have to live. If they are in a financial cycle, they don't have to stay in that. They can be equipped and grow out of that and, and understand God's provision. But sometimes... But we're not, we don't give conditionally. So it's not like if you'll do this, we'll feed your kids. No, we feed kids. We feed poor people. And I, the only reason, and maybe I need to say this kind of stuff more often, but the reason why I don't is because that's just the role of the church. And I'm not standing up here trying to sound like I'm bragging about doing something that we should just do. Because it's what God asked us to do. It's what the Holy Spirit would lead us to do. But I just want you to know, thousands of dollars every month goes to helping poor people in our community. Thousands. Because, because people are faithful. Because people are trusting us. I just want you to know, we really are hearing this cry. And we respond. Also, the cry of the lonely. It's the reason why we're a life group church. The reason why we understand that every person has to be plugged into biblical community. Because God's created us for that. The, the enemy loves us to be lonely. The enemy loves us to be isolated. 
But it's also why we visit people in jail and visit people in prisons or write letters to them or visit people in hospitals and nursing homes and people that are locked in because so often they're forgotten and just left there. So we do what we can to hear those cries, to visit them. One thing that's not in your notes, but I felt like it's important for us to understand is when you hear what the Holy Spirit hears, you understand that it happens in a supernatural way. And it's incredibly important because you have to hear the cry of those who have no voice. And that's the reason why we support Options Pregnancy Center. It's the reason why we're doing what we can to work with adoption agencies and the foster care system because there are so many kids. They didn't choose to be in that system. They don't have a voice. So we're doing the best we can to give them a voice and to hear it. But also the cry of the lost. Now this should be obvious. But we're living in a day and age where it can be so easy just to turn up the noise of everything else so you don't have to hear the hurt, the pain, and the agony of the lost. But Jesus described it with such detail. He describes the cries of eternity in hell and what it would sound like. He said things like in the place where there's gnashing of teeth. I don't know what that is. Like, like I, I, all I know is this, it sounds miserable. It sounds, it's, he said in the place where the, where the worm never stops eating, where fire is never quenched. It's a miserable place. The only reason why every once in a while I'm thankful for an Arkansas summer day where there's triple digit heat and 90% humidity so that when I walk out to my car that's been sitting out there for a few hours and I open the door and Cody and I get in there and she says, it feels so good. It feels so good. Don't turn on the car yet. Don't turn it on yet. It just feels so good. And I'm just sitting there thinking, I thank God I'm not going to hell because this has to be close. And I can't stand it for four minutes. It breaks my heart that there's people heading there for eternity. So we have to hear the cry of the lost. And here's the thing, and I talk about all these things, there's a good chance that Holy Spirit is stirring in your soul even now but I just wanna let you know, it's not enough to just be stirred. You have to move. If you ever built a fence before, a privacy fence, you gotta put the post in quickcrete. Quick set, quickcrete. The thing about quickcrete, you mix it up, you get the perfect mix, but guess what? You gotta use it quick. The word quick is in the name. So if you don't use it, you gotta do it proportionately. If you don't use it in a very short amount of time, some might say a quick amount of time, it begins to harden. And once it does, it's useless. In fact, a lot of times the thing that you were stirring it in, the wheelbarrow, the bucket, whatever, it's ruined too. You can't use it anymore. The point is this. God stirs us to use us. If we don't move when he stirs in us, our soul hardens. We become callous to what God is trying to do. So praise God. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you stir us. Move. Move. Yes, the church is doing what the church should do here, but you're the church. You're the church. You're the church. But I don't know how to preach. That's why we have services. Get them here. I'll preach. But you got to get them here. That's your, that's your part of it, right? If you know lost people, you have a testimony. It's at least your responsibility to share what Jesus has done in your life, right? But you won't if you don't hear the cry of the lost. You got to hear them. I'm sorry for pounding this. It's a really, it's really, I'm really glad I didn't break that. Because even though I'm wearing a flower shirt, I just want to let you know, I can break some stuff, okay? It takes a confident man to wear this shirt. Every time I'm feeling insecure, I'm like, I got to wear a flower shirt today. Also, 
a church that moves. Anyone that God uses eventually has to make a move. It's true throughout the word of God. Jesus moved from heaven. This is the way Paul describes it. For the love of Christ constraineth us because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we then were all dead. And that he died for all that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves. And that verse is one of the reasons why we don't use the King James Version in our church, because to understand it, you gotta read it really, really slow. But this is what I do know. That word constraineth is powerful because this is what it means. It means it holds us back from getting involved in the wrong things so that we can propel, propel towards the things that move the Holy Spirit. It presses us together. It, it creates guardrails and accountability to keep us away from some things, to keep us unified. It holds us away from wasting our life and wasting time. It presses, then it propels. What does it? The verse says, the love of Christ. It's love. It's love. But that word love is a tough word because when a word is used for everything, it means nothing. And we have all done this. It's easy to say that we love a lot of things. I love my wife and I love golf and I love cats. Not. <laughs> I love ice cream. I love tacos. And I love Jesus. Are all those equal? No. No. So, English is really not as strong of a language as the original language. Because when you look at the Greek, there are individual words for different and specific kinds of love. So there is the kind of love that's just like, I do love tacos. I love the new coach at CU. I love those things. But there's eros. That's where we get the word erotic from. And yeah, I love my wife. I do. There is a part of that love in covenant marriage between a man and a woman that God has designed. But there's also phileo, which is a friendship love. It's a brotherly love. This is the love that Jonathan and David had for each other. It's where you say, man, I love you, bro. But almost every single time in the New Testament, when God says, I love you, it's the word agape. Agape. Agape love, the love that comes from God is agape love. And the reason why it's important that you tune into this because this is the foundation of who we want and pray that we can be as a church. And if you don't get this, you'll miss the heart of who we are as New Life Church, but you'll more importantly miss out on being used by God. If you don't understand agape, here's the definition, unconditional love, love by choice, by an act of the will. It denotes unconquerable benevolence and undefeatable goodwill. It will never seek anything but the highest good of another person. It does not need chemistry, an affinity, or a feeling. It is love that endures through any circumstance or difficulty. Agape love is a love that belongs exclusively to God and God's people. Only God's people can produce this love. This is the only type of love that doesn't require emotion. I don't know about you, but I'm very, very thankful that God does not base his love for me on emotions. I just wanna let you know, if God based his love for any of us on emotion, he would have killed us a long time ago. I know that feels hard and strong, but it's the, it's the truth because he's a holy God. 
And I don't care who you are, how good of a person you are, you've all done something at one point or another that could tick off a holy God. Agape love is a love that doesn't require chemistry. It's a supernatural love. And it's the kind of love that he wants us to love the world with. Yes, the whole world, every person, even the ones that hate us, even the ones who have hurt us, abused us. This is the love. It is unconditional. It's important that you understand it. The fact is you are not gonna have chemistry with every person in this church. I promise you, I guarantee you, because we got some weird people here. And you're not gonna have chemistry with every person, but, but you can't have this love. You can't have agape love. Yes, for every person. The fact is this. God would ask us to even have agape love for the people that did what they did to the nation of Israel. And I want to tell you, that's really hard for me doesn't mean there's not justice. It doesn't mean there's not wars. It doesn't mean that Israel shouldn't defend itself. It doesn't mean any of that. I'm talking about what Christ has asked us to do as believers, as Christians. He gave us a supernatural love. This is one of the reasons why there's never been a time that I've I've complained about anything that's happening, which I never do that much, but if I was gonna complain to God about even something that was happening in our church, he's never responded back with, well, I know how you feel. I feel the same way. In fact, I was planning on striking them down this very evening. That's never happened. What's happened every time is he reminds me, James, I've loved you unconditionally. And the same way that you've forgiven and the same way that you've been loved is the way that you should love. And if you don't, agape becomes sloppy. It's a dad joke, it's fine. That's an old phrase though, sloppy agape. It means You've abused and misused God's definition of love. Love always moves a person. This love, agape love. When it says, for God so loved, it's for God so agape the world. He didn't just give something, he gave someone. And that agape moved Jesus to you to the cross. And this is the love that moved Paul all over the known world to spread the gospel, not just to the Jews, but to the Gentiles and the Greek so that we could have it. And what the Holy Spirit would say is, open your heart. There's a really good chance there's a lot of us and maybe all of us that need to pray, Holy Spirit, I've got family members, I've got friends, I've got enemies that need you. And I need to reach out to them. But in my own broken human love, it's not enough. I need your love. Because we have a city to reach in a world to bring the good news to. So Holy Spirit, fill me with your love. Use me. May it be felt when people meet me. May it be felt. Help me to always preach the good news and if necessary, use words. A church led by the Holy Spirit will be moved and move in his love. Let's close our eyes, bow our heads.
If you're here and maybe you feel completely disconnected from an understanding, a personal experience of that agape love. Agape love is only experienced when you've experienced him. He is love. This love is not just an attribute. It's a definition. It's who he is. The fact of the matter is, God has never loved you any more, any less because of good or bad things that you've done. He is love. He is love. But the only way that he can be a loving God is to give choice, to give will. It wouldn't be godly love. It wouldn't be agape love if we didn't get to choose it. And the truth is, if you feel disconnected from his love, if you feel disconnected from agape, the only way that you can experience it is by receiving, by surrendering to him. And so if you're here and you would take an honest assessment and say, yeah, I, I don't, I know I've never truly surrendered to him. I've never truly surrendered. I know in my heart, I might've gone through the motions. I, I might be going through the motions right now. I might come to church every week, but, but in my soul, I've never, I've never surrendered. The fact is I've been depending on my goodness. I'm sorry, but your goodness is not enough. Or some of you say, I don't deserve it because of how bad I am. The fact is none of us deserve it, but it's not because of how bad we've been. It's just because none of us deserve it. But if you can open your heart and by faith, Believe and ask and surrender to him right now. You can begin to experience and grow in an understanding of, and yes, display agape. If you know that you need to surrender to Jesus today and make him your Lord and Savior, I want to pray with you and I'm going to ask you just to admit it by putting your hand up right now. Say, I need to surrender to Jesus. I'm away from him. And as soon as I see you, you don't have to keep your hand up the whole time. You can if you want. As soon as I see you, who I'm praying with and praying for, you can put your hand down. Got it. I got it. Anyone else? I'm ready to surrender my life to Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Got you, dude. Anyone else? Okay. For you couple of folks, I just want you to know your worth was established by what God was willing to pay for your life. What Jesus was willing to lay down for you. So your worth is established by Jesus being willing to die on the cross. And he brought you couple of people into this room today. His spirit has been speaking to you, working on your soul. And the fact is, if it was just for you couple of people, Jesus would have done it. If you were the only couple of people in all of history, Jesus would have done it for you. So let's just respond to him say this, say, Jesus, I recognize that I need you. I recognize that I'm broken. I've sinned. I can't save myself, but I believe in faith that you died on the cross and paid the price for my sin. And right now I ask for your forgiveness. I believe that you rose from the grave. You defeated sin and death so that I have the hope of heaven and so that I can fulfill my purpose in you. 
right now I surrender to you as my savior. I repent, I turn away from the world, turn away from my own desires, and I wanna turn towards you, your plan, your purpose, your word, the leading of who you are, Holy Spirit, in my life. Help me to understand more of your agape and help it manifest through me in my life. Thank you, Jesus. Father, thank you for that. God, we know that we need all that you have for us. So God, I thank you that you're moving and working in life groups and in relationships and in conversations with people, having a hunger and desire for more of who you are, including your gifts. But God, first give us a conviction and hunger and passion for the attributes, for the fruit of your spirit so that there's great and good soil for gifts to lay hold and be used. That's what we need, Father. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.